turn to Ephesians chapter number 4, and uh, we're going to read, I am not going to read everything that I'd like to read, it's really not all that bad, but uh, I think I'm going to read the first, uh, well, from verse number 17, I think I'll read down through um, maybe verse 24, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, down through verse number 24. Let me go ahead and pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings, for the good Sunday school hour that we had, the good lesson about the tabernacle. God, we thank you for it. Father, I'm thankful, Lord, that you took something that was, that was crooked and you made it straight. You took something, Lord, that had a short lifespan and you gave it life eternal. You gave it, you took something that had no appeal and you overlaid it with gold. God, I thank you so much for that. God, I thank you for what you did for me when you saved me. Lord, I know, Lord, if anybody in this house knows, I do, that I'm not perfect. But God, I thank you, Lord, that I serve a perfect God. And that perfect God sent a perfect Son so that, so that we here in this building and those folks outside, Lord, might trust in that perfect Savior and His perfect work on Calvary. And God, I pray that You would help us to realize, Lord, that the reason that He did that and the reason that You made that sacrifice is so that one day we could be made perfect too. God, I pray that You would help us today. Have Your will in my heart. God, we pray You'll bless Your people in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're in Ephesians chapter number 4, and I'm going to start my timer now, because I'd be already out of time if I had started it before. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not, as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding uh, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Let me stop something here real quick. There we go. The blindness of their heart. Verse number 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye putting off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, we're continuing our our series, if you will, about spiritual growth this morning, and the title is Some Warnings on the Way to Maturity. Some Warnings on the Way to Maturity. Now, if the Lord will allow me next Sunday, I will read out of these same passages as we go on to verse number 32, and I'll give you kind of the uh, some encouragements. I, I, I haven't finished that outline yet, but it'll be some encouragement, some exhortations, some some things, some positive things, if you will, in this in this pathway or this journey to maturity. But by way of introduction, let me just say this: that there there's there's a little thing that is discussed very rarely about growth. 
And that is that someone, some individual can grow into a productive member of society or they can grow into the dregs of society. They can be a problem for society. Now, what they can mature the right way or the wrong way. Now, in saying that, I'll say that that is dependent on their upbringing. It's dependent on uh, on mama and daddy. It's dependent on, now I said no. It's dependent on, now that ain't right. It's dependent on, we have rules in this house. It's dependent on, as long as you're under my roof. It's dependent on the upbringing. But it's also depending on the nurturing received in those earlier years. Now, if I get dwelling on this part too much, I get tore up, and it won't be necessarily about the things of God. It'll be about that little codger back there that Leah's holding, that, that little nephew of mine. We got to talking the other day, and, and uh, Kurt and Ashton and I were talking, and it seemed like every time Ashton and Kurt come to my house, they fall asleep. And I'm like, well, I have carbon monoxide in my house. What is the problem? And uh, they were, you know, be, they were brown nosing what they were doing, but they were saying, oh, preacher, your house is just a place of safety, and it's so calm there, and so we're just relaxed. And, and then it got a little on the more serious side, and Kurt brought up the fact that, whoop, <laughs> what a blessing it is for him, at least, to know that his son is being brought up in the shepherd's house. And honey, I like to kick the back end out of my choir robe and didn't even have it on at the time. I'm talking about it was getting good. And so it, um, it, the way someone matures is really dependent on how they're nurtured at home. How they're loved. How they're shown love. Or how they're not shown love. If everything's always wrong and there's no... There's nothing wrong with correction, but if always if it's always negative and they're always at fault and there's no, I understand you did wrong, but I want you to know I love you. And there's no there's no forgiveness in the home. Then chances are that individual may end up growing. Uh, he may mature, but he may end up growing the opposite way of what they should. It's dependent on the surroundings. If you open your refrigerator and you got you got alcohol and and you go on the counter and you got cigarettes here and you got dip there and you go in one little room and you got this paraphernalia over here and you can't go into this room because of this and and all of these things and 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 and, and we don't talk about uncle so and so and we don't talk about aunt so and so because of the life that they live and, and I'm, I I know we've all got folks like that in our family so don't misunderstand me. But if the surroundings that are wicked and vile are brought into the home, then that little boy, that little girl is going to grow up. And I could say this of my own testimony. I thought for sure when I got as an adult that I was going to drink and I was going to cuss and I was going to hate this and I was going to do this because that's what my daddy did. But, whoo, goodness gracious, I'm glad in 1989 I got a brand new daddy. And my daddy got changed from the inside out. And so my daddy put down the, the alcohol and he put down this and he stopped loving instead of hating. And I realized there's a better, there's a better man to grow up into. And, and I didn't really have those aspirations of being a, 
being a firefighter or being a this or being a, I wanted to be like my daddy. And, and as I grew up, I realized my daddy got changed. And so the man that I want, I'm about to run. The man that I wanted to be, that I wanted to mature into became changed as well. So in this idea of having a child mature into a productive member of society, it's dependent on some things when he's very young. This is true in the Christian life as well. If that Christian is nurtured in the gospel and he's trained, he's, he's discipled in the doctrines of the Word of God, then uh, he's going to grow up into being a mature Christian. He's going to have that foundation. He's going to have uh, some sure footing and he's going to be able to build upon that. Uh, but then if that Christian is, is surrounded by things that are ungodly, then it's going to stunt their growth. And, and they may not grow at all, but I want you to know that the right people in the right places and the right music, all of those things are going to play a part in the Christian's life, whether young or old. It's going to play a, a, a large part. And so they, they need to mature into the right kind of believer. Now, for a new believer, when I mean by that, someone that's just recently saved, and that could be a, a period of years, but if they are thrown back into a family that doesn't go to church, if they're nurtured in the ways of the world, if they're never discipled in the Word of God, then they're going to do one of two things. And y'all hear me well, because this is the same thing. They are going to do one of two things. They're either going to remain a spiritual baby... Or, and again, this is one and the same, or they're going to grow up to be a carnal Christian. I can think of, Brother Jody, you may know who I'm talking about. A man professes to be a Christian. He can, he can recount Scripture like, like nobody else. But he lives a very carnal life. He says he's a Christian. And I have to believe him because I do not know the intents of his heart. But, but Eric, the life that he's living does not present that he is a Christian. But he says that he is. If I can go back to what we said on Wednesday night, the proof of the fruit or proof of the root is in the fruit. And so... If this particular gentleman, if, if we were to inspect what he is presenting, it's bad fruit. But you see, it could be because he wasn't nurtured as a young Christian the way that he should have been. He may be a Christian. He may have a relationship with Christ, but because he wasn't nurtured the way that he should be, he is now a carnal believer. But I, I watched this, and, and I'm no expert in it, but I watched this down in Florida, a little bit further south than where I grew up, was a, a huge groves of citrus trees. And, and, and that, that I, I don't know exactly how it is, but a freeze is good for a citrus tree at some point, but, but it either gets too cold or it comes in at the wrong time, and that, that fruit can be sweet but turn bitter. But those farmers, they're able to kind of work with that thing and, and turn it back around. And can I tell you today, God can 
turn that carnal Christian back around. God can take that thing that hasn't matured exactly right and He can begin to mold it. And make, Somebody help me right there. He can mold it and make it into that mature Christian. So with, with those things, I've got to hurriedly, hurriedly get into the message. And, and we're just going to go right down these verses right here. We're not going to be fancy. We're just going to give you something out of the Word of God. But our text gives us some road signs or some warnings to the Christian. And this will help us grow into what you and I should become. Number one one tonight, <clears throat> very first off, it says there in verse number 17, uh, Paul is writing, he says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth, what's number one, walk not as other Gentiles walk. That's number one. Walk not as other Gentiles walk. So what I mean by that is when you and I are saved, there should be a big difference between, now y'all gonna have to help me here and, and just follow what I'm dealing with here. We're talking about living a worldly, a carnal life and being saved, okay? So there's a large difference there. Kurt, you brought it up. Those people that are saved at a young age and, and maybe they've never done wrong and they get saved. You're not gonna see a huge difference in their lives. But compared to that Christian life and to the world, there is a difference, okay? And there is a difference between light and dark. There is a, dif- dis- a difference between wet and dry. There is a difference between a Christian and a lost man, someone that's saved and someone that's lost. In Second Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so at this, this, this morning, if we are going to look at this road sign, if you will, this warning on the way to maturity, and we're going to first see that we should walk not as other Gentiles walk. Now, one of the first things that you're going to run across if you start uh, publicizing this line of thinking, somebody's going to say, judge not that you be not judged. Well, I'm going to give you a good rebuttal. Hush your face. Hush your fa- because what is happening here is you are judging yourselves not on an individual of the world, but you are judging yourselves on how you appear to Christ. If there's too much worldliness in you, too much carnality in you, uh, then you are not going to measure up against Christ. And so the ones that we need to be judging are ourselves here. And we need to understand that if we are in Christ, we are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so there is a large difference between the old and the new man. I don't want to be morbid this morning, but just to make my point, you and I, we can feel our pulse and we can feel that that blood tracing through our our veins and we we can breathe in, we can breathe out, we can see there's a big difference between that man or that woman sitting in the casket. They're cold, clammy, there's no blood, no bodily functions, there's no brain activity. The old man is dead. You've become a new man. So there is a difference, you understand. He says, basically, as as he already said over in chapter number 2, he says that we we need to, to not walk like we used to. 
And so over in chapter number 2, he says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Quickened means made alive. You who hath um, he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, filling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Even as others, who should we not walk as? The other Gentiles, right? Even as others. He says, but God, who is rich, if somebody help me, but you were living like the, you were living like hell, you were living like everybody else, you were a child of the devil, you were a child of disobedience, but God, right there, ought to give us time to shout. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus, for by grace are ye saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Amen. Hallelujah. And so today, we know, number one, that we should not walk as other Gentiles. But what does this mean? Well, what he said here in verse number two, he says we we should not walk according to the course of this world. He said in verse number two, we should not walk according to the prince of the power of the air. And he said, verse number three, we should not walk according to the lust of the flesh. In verse number three, he said we should not walk by fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's how we should not walk. There's a big warning on this way to maturity and it says don't walk like everybody else. How How does the world walk? How does the world talk? Well, look at our text. Verse number 17. It says they walk in the vanity of the mind. Verse 18. It says they have their understanding darkened. Verse 18 again, they, they have blind hearts. Verse 19, uh, giving themselves to lasciviousness, working uncleanness with greediness. That's what the world does. And can I, can I step out of the, of the, uh, the message this morning and say, that's what the world expects. That's what the world thinks is normal. But God's expectations have never been normal as far as the world goes. They've always been extraordinary. And you as a child of God, you, you, you may say, well, I, there's nothing special about me. You're exactly right. There's nothing special about you, but there is something special about he who lives in you. Amen. And so because of the one that lives in you, you should not live like you're in the world all the time. Number two, we look at verse number 26. Now, we didn't read down this far, but we, we, we just look at it. It says, um, ah, let's read verse 25 and then down through verse number 26. He says, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now, this one I just kind of go through very quickly. And, and I didn't even put verse number 25 in there, but I think we probably say something there. Um, there are still Christians that deal with lying. Come on. There are still Christians that deal with lying. And he says, you need to put away lying. You need to put it away. Get away from Put it away. But what we do is we, we, we and there's preachers, y'all listen to me, there's preachers that are lying too. I grew up with some of the best preachers, but I found out once I got a little bit older that they weren't always telling the truth. 
And most of their not telling the truth was in, in their it was in their illustrations. They were just making up stuff. And uh, it was cool. At the, I mean, it, I was like, whoa, are you kidding me? But then I realized, oh, that was just a lie. So preachers, if we're not careful, uh, we will begin to expound and, and we'll get excited and we'll take facts and we'll get them all mixed up. And better be careful. Better be careful. So he says, you need to put away lying too. You said, I can't believe that Paul is, is saying to a bunch of adults in the church at Ephesus that they need to quit lying. Yeah. And let me tell you, here at Lighthouse Baptist Church in 2024, we need to put away lying. I don't figure it out. Your boy needs to get saved. He's a liar. Leah, I don't know if he gets it from you or gets it from his daddy, but he's born a liar. Ah! You go over and pick him up, that fool smile straight at you. Ain't nothing wrong with him. Ain't nothing wrong. You know what he just did? He lied. He wanted to see who'd get to him first. You want to know why? Because that's him born him. You don't have, you don't have to teach no children to, to lie. You don't have to teach them to pick up something. We're going to get to that. You don't have to teach them to pick up something that don't belong to them. If it just looks like it, they, it, they might enjoy it. They'll pick it up. How many of you kids had to, had to, had to uh, hey, um, I'm so sorry, but I was looking at my daughter, I was looking at my son's backpack, and there's a toy in there that we didn't buy him. Is this yours? Yeah, it is. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We didn't teach them to do that. Now, some folks don't teach their kids to do stuff like that, but but normal parents don't, don't do that. Number two is, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And, and very quickly, I'll just say this, and this is something, again, we don't preach a whole lot on, but we don't need to spend, we don't need to end the day by being angry. And this is no self-help situation here, but, but some people just live with anger. That, that's what gets them through the day. But I'm here to tell you, that's, that's a sad life to live, going through life angry. I mean, God is joy. One of the fruit of the spirits. Spirit is joy. And so one thing that He imparts in us is joy, not hatred, not bitterness, not anger. We shouldn't end the day with anger. I know we have things happen in our lives with kids, with husbands and wives, but we need to do our best. We need to do our best before we ever close our eyes to get it right. Get, don't go to bed angry. Because you'll get up, you'll get up the next morning, you'll be angry. You'll be mad. How should we deal with it? Give it to the Lord. One, one, of, one of the hardest things, especially dealing with anger, is you may be angry at someone and they may not even know you're angry at them. But you're the one that has eaten alive. And so sometimes the best thing to do is just give it to God. Just, just give it to Him. Let me go to number three. It says, let him that steal, stole, steal no more. Verse 28. 
I could probably spend all day on verse 27, neither give place to the devil. But it says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. Uh-oh. Boy, we probably need to put this on a billboard somewhere. If you're stealing, you probably should go out and get a job. That's what it says. I, I ain't, I, I'm not for any other versions of the Bible, but that'd, that'd be a good rendition right there. If you've got a problem with stealing, quit it and get a job. Yeah, y'all can put my name by that. So I, just like don't be angry, just like, uh, you know, uh, what he says, uh, put, put away lying, I feel like this is a strange statement. But I, I feel like he was dealing with these things because in their culture they had they had this running rampant, and and again we we have this in our day as well. But but apparently there were some folks that were addicted to stealing, and you know if you're addicted to something you can't get enough of it. It's kind of the thrill of the chase, if you will. Um, they 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 try to 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 get it without getting caught, if you will. But Paul mentioned this when he talked to Titus as well. But he used a different word. He didn't say steal. He didn't say stole or stolen. He uses the word purloin. Now, that's not a word that we use very often. But it is a word that you would know, especially in the business realm. It is the word embezzle. And Paul says that we need not embezzle. So I heard Brother Rufus Edmonston 30 years ago, 35 years ago. He said this as he was preaching out of Titus. And he said, what this is, this purloining, he says, if, if you're at your job and your job has a stapler, this is, this is bare bones, your job has a stapler, your job provides you with staples, you have at your house a stapler and you need staples. Purloining is as simple as taking staples from work to provide for yourself at home. That's stealing. Now, embezzling is a whole other level of that, but it's the same thing. And so, he says, I, I need you to stop stealing. I, I read this from Adam Clark. He says, it is supposed that some of the rabbis... <laughs> The rabbis, among the rabbis, stealing was not entirely discouraged. Now think about that, Miss Tabitha. Everybody had a room full of preachers. And you didn't know which one to trust. Because you didn't know who was going to steal a piece of candy from Josie. Or a necklace from Ansley. Or an earring from Terry. Adam Clark said that it's supposed that among the rabbis, stealing was not altogether discouraged as long as they gave some to the poor. They could steal from whoever they want to as long as they gave some of what they stole to the poor. Paul said, stop it. Stop it. Let him that stole steal no more. So you, you may be taking things. You may be you know, stealing. Lori stole a, 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 a jalapeno from somewhere. 
It was an accident. I stole some lip gloss, chapstick. I don't use lip gloss. <laughs> Sorry. Some chapstick. That's a whole other sermon outline there. But I went back and paid for it. He said, let him that stole steal no more. There's some that, have, that, that deal with shoplifting, that deal with stealing, that maybe even deal with purloining, with embezzling. How many times do we hear about churches where the secretary or the pastor or the deacon or this or that or the other stole from the church? It's wicked. It's wicked. But listen to this. Malachi chapter number 3, verse number 10 I will mention verse number 8, but verse number 10 says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out you a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So he says, I need you to bring all of the tithes into the storehouse. Now, there's this idea, well, I've got this money and I believe in tithing, but I'm going to give it to this place and this place and this place. The Bible teaches that it should come into the storehouse. Okay? But here's verse number 8. Will a man rob God? So there's some folks that are coming in on Sundays and Wednesdays and they're singing our hymns and they're saying amen to our messages and they're loving on one another's necks, but they're stealing from God. Because they're not giving to God. Let him that stole steal no more. Then, number four, let let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I've got to quickly say this. I want you to look at that last word there in verse 29. The word is hearers. That means someone is listening to what you say. We will, we will be judged by those folks around us. And the Apostle Paul says that we shouldn't have corrupt communication proceeding out of our mouth. But what should come out of our mouth is that that could be used to edify those that hear us. Which means that those people that we may edify, those are also the ones that hear the corrupt communication coming out of our mouth. James said this in chapter 3, verse number 5. I find it very peculiar that God has put the book of James and this, this idea of spiritual maturity on my heart at the same time. Man, he's beating me to death with it. And y'all think I'm beating you to death. I get it twice at least. Y'all just got to suffer through it once. James said in chapter number 3, talking about the tongue, he said, The tongue's a little member, and it boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Psalm 19, verse 14, tells us what this corrupt communication is. He said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So, what 
is corrupt communication. Something that is not acceptable in God's sight. I said this just a couple services ago. If you have to question whether or not it is a sin, it probably already is. If you have to question whether or not you should say that, you probably shouldn't. We see this lastly in verse number 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit. This word grieve, it means to afflict with sorrow. We've all known folks that we've got, when we get around them, we've got to walk on eggshells. We can't speak. We can't, we can't say certain things. The Holy Spirit of God should be one of those. We should be very careful what we say. Not because of who, flesh and blood, can hear us, but because we may quench the Holy Spirit of God. He's easily offended. This should make us aware to be very careful. And in doing that, it will allow us to mature. If we could stop grieving the Lord in what we do, in what we say, listen, in what we listen to, we'll say that again, in what we listen to, you may, you may come into church and be filled with all kinds of great music and preaching, but if you get in your vehicle and you turn on boogity, boogity, junkity, junkity, guess what? You just grieve the Holy Spirit. And what you got at church, you most likely left at church because you've grieved the Holy Spirit. Let's come with a song of invitation. Nathan, if you wouldn't care to come and lead this, um, if nothing else, just as I am, will be just fine. But I ask you the question this morning, what kind of Christian do you want to be? Do you want to be a Christian that, that tarnishes the name of Christ? When someone finds out that you're a Christian you, and they, they react, like, oh, really? Is that the type of Christian that you want to be? Or do you want to be a Christian that draws others to Him? Jesus says, if I, and if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Do you want to be a Christian that, and, and let me say this again. Bubba and I were having this conversation about, about something. And, and I love what you said, Bubba. Make sure they know. We're talking about j- the, the jail ministry. And I was asking what he thought about it. And he said, make sure they know you know you're not perfect. And I'm, I'm here, and I, I know I've said this this whole time. If anybody knows that James Eugene is not perfect, James Eugene knows that he's not perfect. Because I get up every morning and I see who I am. And God tells me who I am. Now, God doesn't beat me over the head and say, Boy, you've done wrong, you've done wrong, you've done wrong, you've done wrong. But that Holy Spirit gently draws me and tells me what I've done wrong. But when I go out, I want to show not who I am, not who James Eugene is, but I want to show who he is in me. And I don't have to wear a t-shirt. I don't want to, I don't have to wear a necklace. I don't have to wear any of those things. But the life that I present to this world ought to show that I'm a child of God. You say I'm kind of dealing with some of these things. Kind of dealing with blending in with the crowd. I'm dealing with 
with lie and I'm dealing with stealing. I'm dealing with all these. I, I, listen, what I'm about to say is that you don't have to confess to me. But First John chapter number 1 says, if you've got these things, he says, if you confess your sins, he... God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not some Catholic church. I don't have my collar on backwards. I ain't got a booth that you can talk to me in and confess everything and do five Hail Marys and go do this and go do that. I have no idea what any of those things mean. But what I do know is there is a holy God in high heaven that will arrest your soul and He will draw you to Him until you get it right. And when you get it right, He will forgive it. And He will forget it. What else should we do? Say, well, I'm not dealing with those things. Well, I believe we can probably do this every day of our life. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do you have room for growth this morning? Have you found yourself going the wrong way? You know you're growing. And you feel like you've gotten, you, you've gotten mature in the Lord, but there's, there's something that's holding you back and maybe it's drawing you from one, one way away from the Lord. It might be good. It might be good just to go back to God and let Him kind of cinch a hold of you and draw you back to Himself so He can straighten you before you get so far out of His will that He has to break you to bring you back. Let's bow our heads and pray and then we'll sing, God, we thank You for the day. We thank You for Your Word. And God, I ask You if You will, Lord, just convict our hearts. Lord, if there's someone here today that needs a fresh touch from You, I ask You that You give it. Lord, if there's someone that needs forgiveness, there's someone that needs to get some things right, I pray from, 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 from my position to the very back that You might draw someone to You today. God, we ask You these things in Jesus' name. Amen.